Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. It's time for our national town hall meeting with the big cheese, Wisconsin pun intended, of the progressive movement in the U.S. House of Representatives and, uh, well, frankly, the U.S. Congress, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House. Uh, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. And Congressman Pocan, welcome back. What's at the top of your list of things that are making your eyeballs pop or that you think we need to know about or, you know, however you would characterize it? Yeah, um, well, I, I think uh, two main things that are on top of mind right now is, one, the Senate is not acting on a COVID-19 package like we did in the House <clears throat> now 10, 12 days ago. So people are waiting for assistance because the Senate isn't in Washington and they're not in a rush to act and doing anything for people. So that's a concern. And then second, you know, this ridiculous, and that's the only way I can describe it, fight that we're seeming to have over masks in this country. I really am dumbfounded by it. I don't understand why anyone would not want to be respectful enough to wear a mask if they're in among people. You don't have to wear it in your own home, but obviously in a lot of other places. And watching the president and really the idiocy that he's exhibiting and the lack of leadership he's exhibiting is kind of beyond frustrating because you'd think at bare minimum as president, you don't want the people in your country to get sick. And he can't even seem to accomplish that. So I'm at a loss for this president. Yeah, I have noticed, Louise and I went out yesterday, the day before, I guess it was over the weekend, up to Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from us, because we wanted to pick up some food from a Mexican restaurant we love up there, uh, Husong and Larry's. And there's a big park right before that restaurant, and then there's a farmer's market in downtown Vancouver. We drove by both. In the farmer's market, it was maybe 10% of the people wearing masks. In the park, I think I saw two people out of maybe 300 wearing masks. It was pretty shocking actually, when you consider it. I watched a compilation on YouTube or on Twitter a couple days ago. Somebody pulled together a whole bunch of little videos that had been tweeted by other people and strung them all together. 
and they were all people coming up to the person holding the camera who was presumably wearing a mask, spitting on them, yelling loudly at them, threatening them with their breath, with their, you know, basic. And, and I think that what's right. going on is that the people who listen to Right Wing Hate Radio and watch Fox News actually believe that people wear masks because they're afraid of getting sick. And the fact of the matter is that a cloth mask, or for that matter, a surgical mask, I mean, surgeons don't wear a mask to avoid getting sick from their patients. It's not, you know, they're, they're only moderately effective at, at stopping viruses from getting to you. You need an N95 mask for that, a very special type. But what they're very effective at is stopping all these little water droplets that come out of our mouths that are filled with millions of viruses from getting beyond the mask. In other words, we wear a mask to protect other people from us in the event that we're infected and we don't realize it. And this is just an absolute, and it's not like Anthony Fauci hasn't said that a hundred times, but this is not what Trump is saying. It's not what the Republicans are saying. It's not what they're saying on Fox and right-wing hate radio. How do we get that message out there? I mean, in other countries, if you were walking down the street in Seoul or in Christchurch or in Sydney, you know, any of these countries that have literally fewer, you know, well, in, in Korea, I guess it's fewer than 300 deaths. Today, Jacinda Ahern, the president of, or prime minister of New Zealand, announced that they literally don't have a single person in the hospital for COVID. Seven deaths total in the, all this time in New Zealand. They haven't just crushed this thing. Australia and New Zealand are talking about creating an economic zone where both countries have no more COVID at all, right? And just wipe it out. But if you were to take, if you were to walk down the street in one of these cities without a mask, people would shun you. They would think that you were antisocial. I mean, how do we convey this, Congressman? Well, you know, the problem is we have such a weak narcissist in chief that he has decided, I think, that wearing a mask means he did something wrong, which we all know he did. But this is his way of trying to not accept that he did something wrong. But you're right. I mean, it's not about yourself because it's not going to necessarily protect you. It's about the courtesy to everyone else that you wouldn't want anyone else to get sick in case you picked it up somehow. And it should just be, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service, right? In stores, we've all accepted mm -hmm. that. It should now be that you wear a mask, right? And I went to the post office last week and no one in front of me or behind me had a mask, and especially indoors. I mean, outdoors, you know, it's slightly different if you are, you know, socially distanced and all the rest. But, you know, indoors, it's just become the common thing that we need to do. And this president with the reporter telling him to take down his mask so he could hear the question. And then he said, oh, you're trying to be politically correct. There's nothing politically correct about trying to make sure others wouldn't get sick because you could possibly be asymptomatic or not know that you have COVID-19. So it's just a little infuriating that this has become a political issue because Donald Trump is too insecure in himself. Yeah, I think it's terribly frustrating. Well, calls are starting to come in here. You want to pick up some phone calls? Yeah, absolutely. Love to, Tom. Okay. John in Minneapolis, Minnesota, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, um, I want to ask the congressman, I was wondering what the Democratic Party is doing about or the federal government or law enforcement is doing about, uh, you know, the federal government essentially preventing supplies like PPE and also testing kits or chemicals to be used in various 
states when the, they're ordered by the governor of the state. Where did they go? Is this a, actually a real story? I mean, I've heard it from pretty reliable sources that happened in this state recently, and I read it. Uh, it was CBS News is where I heard about it. And so what is it that the Democratic Party is doing? Because it's outrageous. I mean, What, what can the, be done? Yeah. Amen. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, John, but we have 30 seconds. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I didn't know, don't know if I caught what he was actually asked. He's, you know, you've got this administration stealing PPE from blue states, presumably to stash uh, yeah. it for red states, but nobody knows where it is, what it's going to be used for. You know, the bigger issue, honestly, is they have no idea what they're doing because they're not even getting supplies because they've decided it's not their responsibility via FEMA. I can talk more about it. Okay. All right. We'll pick it up on the other side of this break. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents Wisconsin in or the second district of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan.house.gov, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov is his website, his Twitter handle, Rep. Mark Pocan. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And we will be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. It's that time of year where we celebrate Memorial Day. We memorialize the Americans who have died in our wars, in the Vietnam War, in the Iraq War, in the Afghanistan War, in the Gulf War, the earlier Iraq War, in the Korean War. If you add all of those wars together that I just named, the sum total of them is fewer than the number of people who have died in three months from COVID-19 virus on Donald Trump's watch. Isn't it time for us to memorialize the Americans who have died and are continuing to die at the rate of you know, well over 1,000 a day as a result of the incompetence of Donald Trump? It seems like maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's the time to add COVID-19 victims. Because, yeah, I mean, after all, Trump says we're warriors, or maybe there should be a separate holiday. But something to think about. You'll find a video about it over at TomHartman.com. Jim in Long Beach, California, listening on KPFK. Jim, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Okay, thank you. My concern is that I'm not hearing about how we make sure that the votes are counted correctly. And that is a a major issue that I think we're talking about. Well, you get the picture. (laughs) Bradcast on KPFK, he talks about it a lot. But in general, when people talk about the election, it's sort of ignored that and I'd like to know how that could be insured, and, and that's my question. Jim, I'll tell you, here's my bigger concern, because I do think in general the vote counting methods are pretty sound. I would love to have a paper receipt, a paper ballot for every single machine, and the House Democrats have uh, voted on that. And I, I don't know if that's going to move through the Senate. But my bigger issue is the suppression issues that make it harder for people to be able to go vote who just want to be able to vote. I think we see way too many states really putting up some huge barriers in the era of COVID-19. We had that bizarre election in Wisconsin where people had to go vote early April. And, you know, we've had over 60 people 
test positive to COVID-19 who went to vote, and that was a concern, obviously. There's just so many things around voter suppression that I think are the issues that we really need to focus on. Unfortunately, you know, Eric Holder, our former attorney general, has been at the forefront, along with, uh, quite honestly, President Obama, in dealing with a lot of those states and those issues. But I'm not as concerned about how they're counted right now, although obviously I want a paper ballot receipt so we can have verifiable recounts. I'm more concerned about not even getting people to be able to vote. Robin in Seal Beach, California, listening on KPFK. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, hi. Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for uh, taking our calls. My question and frustration is with the upcoming election and Biden's campaign. Why hasn't he been more vocal and brought forward a plan about what he's, you know, what his vision is for the country, how he's going to help heal the division? And of course, we know we need to defeat uh, the malignant, cancerous Trump, but he's got to at least be uh, more forthright about what he plans, what his focus is for the nation. I don't get why he's not more vocal about this. I hear you, Robin. I can't say this definitively, but I hope this is part of the reason is that I know they have these joint committees of people who supported Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden for the Democratic Party leading into the platform that are working on different areas from the economy to healthcare, care, et cetera. And maybe what he's trying to do is take some of these best ideas that come out of this group, which, again, would include a lot of people who back Bernie Sanders, where I think many of the, the best ideas were. That's who I supported in the, in the primaries. So it could be that they're trying to work through that process because that's the next six weeks that's happening. And largely he's, you know, appearing and trying to have conversations with people and show people that he's an adult who can actually govern, unlike what Donald Trump is doing. But I don't think it's for the lack of any ideas. I do think it may have something to do with this because several people I know, including Pramila Jayapal, are activated. And I know it's about a six-week process they're on. Okay. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus in Washington, D.C., with one of the nation's leading progressives right here on the Tom Harbin program. Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour here on the Tom Hartman program, our national town hall meeting with one of the country's leading progressive members of Congress and a leading progressives, period. Jill in Manila, Indiana. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. My question is, I've had a lot of texts from GoStopRepublicans.org, GoTrainDemocrats.org, for contributions, you know, to get ads up and stuff. But I was wondering, which are the best place to put your money to get Democrats elected, I mean, I want to make sure that when I'm giving money, I'm, you know, getting it to the best place that will do the most where we can get our ass. Yeah, Jill's fading in and out, but uh, how do we best contribute our money? Gotcha. I thought that was my fault. I'm glad it's not. Well, Jill, you know, I think it depends. I don't think there's a one cookie cutter answer. In general, I like money going directly to the candidate's campaign committee because I think they have the most direct control over it. 
and it's more likely to be spent on things like field and dollars that are actually doing voter contact as opposed to general advertising. Now, having said that, that's a little bit of a generalization. Some groups are doing that with their money, and they're not attached to a candidate. So I think, you know, it's just a little research on it. I think if you get a group that has a name that means nothing to you, that's saying it's going to do something good, I wouldn't give them any money because I get a lot of those. And I don't know who runs them, and I don't know what they're going to do, and I don't know if it's just to enrich an individual. But, you know, I, I trust the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You know, we put out emails, and we use that money to help elect progressives. I trust individual candidates. The most, in in some cases like Wisconsin, we have a really great Democratic Party uh, run by Ben Wickler. He used to be the political director at Move On. I give to then a party in that case. So it does require, I think, just a little bit of homework on the group. But in general, I'd say candidates are your best bet. Also in Indiana, Dennis in Muncie. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, I just wanted to comment about deep fakes. For anybody who doesn't know, a deep fake is a digital representation of a person that is well, the technology is supposed to be developed, perfected by 2024, where they can have a candidate say anything that they want, and it'll be indistinguishable from real life. There is no way to legislate against that, is there? Yeah, I couldn't speak to if you could legislate against it. I mean, the one thing I know that when we've seen that happen, generally you're able to prove if it's true or not and it hasn't really taken off in something that's been used falsely. So I guess I can't give you an answer to your direct question of whether or not we can legislate against it, but also it hasn't been something that's been used effectively where someone says, no, I clearly didn't say that, and they have some proof. Uh, you know, I, I just haven't seen that actually come up as an instance yet. Not that it won't, but at this point it doesn't seem like there's the access to that technology enough for people to be able to manipulate it and um I'll have to look into the legislating side. George in Sarasota, Florida, you're on the Earth Congressman Pocan. Yeah, I've got a question to the congressman, and I guess, and I'll first I'll pose a question and then kind of make a statement just related to it. And it is specifically, does the congressman believe that the Republican Party, as it's currently constituted, is is a party that can be worked with, you know, for the betterment of the country? And the reason I say that is that my perception is the answer to that question is clearly no. And the reason I say that is what I see in terms of policy, attitude, behavior, is they have basically thrown out any pretension of, you know, comedy and cooperation, I mean, over a series of decades. And I think it began, you know, I recall in the 80s with Lee Atwater, where there was a conscious decision made on the part of their consultants to basically go for the judge. George, we got, we got it, and we only have 45 seconds left for Congressman Pocan to okay. respond, so let's let him respond to your question. Yeah, George, I hear what you're saying. I think in the current Republican Party, it is different than even a few years back, but certainly the last 10 years, the rise of the Tea Party have made it, I think, much different. I've been in government for closing in on 30 years now. But with Donald Trump, I mean, I've watched people say things and do things that are directly different than what they'll tell you one-on-one because they're afraid of Donald Trump. And because of that, Donald Trump really has become the cult leader for the Republican Party. And the members of the Congress all too often are cult followers because they won't stand up for the things they actually believe in. So it is incredibly difficult right now to accomplish that. But having said that, I remember a time where I could, and I'd love to get back to that. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour, taking your calls on the issues of the day. 
pocan.house.gov is his website. More of your calls for Congressman Mark Pocan in just a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Ruth Marcus, Supreme Ambition, Brett Kavanaugh and the Conservative Takeover. This is from the prologue. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy had a request. Would President Trump have a few minutes to speak privately? It was April 10th, 2017, a sparkling spring morning in Washington, and Kennedy was at the White House to preside over the ceremonial swearing-in of the newest Supreme Court Justice, Neil Gorsuch. First time in history that a sitting justice had sworn in one of his former law clerks to join him on the bench. Just 80 days into Trump's chaotic presidency, the confirmation of Gorsuch represented a rare and welcome victory for the beleaguered new administration, reeling from court defeats of its travel ban and despite controlling both houses of Congress, unable to repeal President Obama's signature health care law. Perhaps most important, as the prominent conservative lawyers, activists, and judges assembled in the Rose Garden that day understood, Gorsuch's addition was just one step, necessary but not sufficient, in the three decades-long conservative bid to cement control over the high court. 
This effort had been as frustrating as it was lengthy. Seeming opportunities for dominance repeatedly slipped away with Republican nominees, including Kennedy himself, turning out to be less reliably conservative than advertised. But Republicans have learned from these costly errors, assembling a farm team of potential nominees whose judicial records could be carefully scrutinized to detect any risk of ideological deviation. Gorsuch was among those who came bearing the seal of approval of the Federalist Society, the conservative legal group that had made itself the central actor in this court-shaping exercise and was playing an even more outsized role in the new administration. Trump took pains to single out one man who was not in the Rose Garden that day, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, for all he did to make this achievement possible, quoting Trump. Indeed, everyone present knew that McConnell had been the indispensable man leading to that moment. Had it not been for McConnell, President Obama would have filled the vacancy created by Justice Anthony Scalia's sudden death in February 2016, and Justice Merrick Garland would be sitting on the high court, anchoring a newly fortified liberal majority. McConnell, with his audacious announcement that the opening would not be filled, no matter that Obama had 11 months remaining in his term, had avoided that fateful outcome. His intervention meant that Gorsuch now occupied Scalia's seat, a conservative for conservative swap. The next vacancy was almost certain to be the far more critical one, shifting the court's balance instead of affirming it. On that score, all eyes were on the 80-year-old Kennedy, then serving his 30th year on the high court and, by dint of age, years of service and political allegiance, the most likely to depart. The swing justice on an already conservative court, Kennedy was pleased about Gorsuch, but he had another former law clerk in mind as he was ushered into Trump's private dining room for an unusual session with the president and White House counsel Don McGahn. Justices are routinely invited to the White House for social events, state dinners, and holiday parties, but at least until Trump took office, such one-on-one -on -one meetings were rare in the modern era. With its finicky notions about preserving the appearance of judicial independence, Unlike the relaxed days when justices did double duty as private counselors to presidents such as Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson. In the chronically leaky Trump White House, aides took pains to keep the Trump-Kennedy meetings secret. There were no public reports about the session, and only a few senior officials ever learned what Kennedy said to Trump that day. The justice's message to the president was as consequential as it was straightforward, and it was a remarkable insertion by a sitting justice into the distinctly presidential act of judge picking. As a candidate, Trump had upended tradition by issuing a list of judges. It ultimately grew to 21, including Gorsuch, from which he pledged to pick his Supreme Court nominees. Now Kennedy had a recommendation for Trump's list. You named one of my former clerks, Kennedy told Trump. You should think about another one, Brett Kavanaugh. When Anthony Kennedy spoke, the Trump White House listened, with good reason. During the campaign, when Trump, against all expectations, emerged as the Republican nominee and ultimate victor over Hillary Clinton, the issue of judicial selection had been a utilitarian means to an electoral end. The socially conservative and evangelical voters Trump needed to win were deeply, understandably suspicious of the thrice-married, once-democratic New Yorker. They were particularly dubious about how Trump would approach the critical task of shaping the federal judiciary, especially the Supreme Court. The list of high court candidates that Trump produced with the help of the Federalist Society, upending convention with typical Trumpian bravado, was explicitly aimed at calming their concerns, and it succeeded beyond the wildest expectations of its creators.
On Election Day, more than a quarter of Trump voters identified the Supreme Court as the critical factor in determining their vote. White, evangelical, born-again Christians broke 81% for Trump to 16% for Hillary Clinton, meaning that Trump outperformed previous Republican nominees Mitt Romney, John McCain, and George W. Bush among such voters. In office, Trump not only keenly understood the politics of judicial selection and its importance for his reelection, he also gained a new appreciation for what the Supreme Court meant to a president's legacy. Thanks to McConnell's ruthlessness, Trump had inherited what no president had before, the gift of an existing vacancy. Supreme Ambition by Ruth Marcus. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Justin in Norman, Oklahoma, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, guys. Thank you both for doing what you do. I wanted to preface my question with the fact that I am coming from Venice, California, and unexpectedly had a pit stop in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, Great people here, but there's quite a stark difference between the amount of people wearing masks here and Venice, California. And I was just wondering why it's not mandated in every state until we get this under control that we have to wear masks in closed public areas. Justin, it's a great question. You know, I think what we've been avoiding is trying to have to get to the point you have to legislate common sense. But you're right. I mean, we're seeing this and now that we're starting to see this become a, I guess, a cultural war of some sort. Although, again, the good news is I did read uh, polls said only 8% of people say they would never wear a mask. So I think most people kind of understand it. The problem is if the president continues to fight this issue, it will make it much more difficult because people will double down with him on the issue. So, you know, in the meantime, uh, the good news is, you know, you're seeing sports figures, you're seeing people in entertainment, you're seeing people in all different walks of life say to do it. And I think that helps to make the bigger case. The problem is the person with the biggest bully pulpit in the nation is the person who's misbehaving the most. And I think that's the difficulty we're really facing. John, in Apple Valley, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you for taking my call, gentlemen. And my suggestion is about how to force somebody like a grocery store to make customers wear a mask. And that is this. A civil assault is a threat to unconsented touching. A civil battery is an unconsented touching. A conspiracy to commit assault and battery could be made, the argument could be made, that the grocer by allowing a customer to come in without a mask, is agreeing that he's allowing that customer to assault and batter other customers in the store. Draft up a little notice, give it to management, and the next day go back and sue them if they let anybody in without a mask. Sue them in small claims court and hit them in the pocketbook. That's my suggestion. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? Well, I guess, John, you know, I'm hoping we don't have to get to these stages. I mean, we have operated... Well, since uh, I was a little kid, you can't go into a store uh, without a shirt or barefoot, right? That is just a common practice, and it's commonly uh, you know, able to, to occur. And I think it should be if a business says they don't want someone in with a mask that you, you can turn them down. And so far, we've watched some of the flips that are out there. But, you know, it should just be the same common courtesy because that uh, small business does have that right to uh, refuse some entrance to folks, I believe. And, you know, let's hope we don't have to take it to that place. Let's hope that someone 
you know, can talk to the president and get to him within Republican circles. Unfortunately, all too often, and usually it takes someone to actually personally be affected in order to do something. Maybe that's what will work for him. But we need him to give us different leadership on this issue because across the board, everyone else is being pretty reasonable. And I think the same thing would happen to him. I just I am dumbfounded by how this has become the issue that it's become. And I really wish we got to the, the root, which I the best I can guess is that the president feels like if people wear masks, it shows he did something wrong. And it's got to be around the ego. I don't think it's, you know, for many of the other ideas that have been proposed. I think he's concerned that it's going to smear the makeup on his face. I was going to say that, Tom. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> yeah. I, thought, you know, I think that's but, but the reality, it's all about vanity. The reality, the reality is, though, I think it's just in his head, it shows he did something wrong and he doesn't want to admit he did wrong. That's, that, that's my best yeah. guess of why this has become his fight. But, you know, it's just so ridiculous because even, you know, Mike Pence, who I have many ideological differences, but I think he's, you know, at least, you know, a big boy. And, you know, he'll wear a mask when he's not around the president. But then, you know, we saw the other day when he's around the president, he also behaves foolishly. And, you know, we just need some adults in that administration to, to stand up and say something to him. Yep. Kimone in Dayton, Ohio. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, I would like to know, because it's my understanding that a Republican wrote a letter to Mike Pompeo encouraging him to threaten the world court against prosecuting Israel for their war crimes against the Palestinians. And some Democrats have signed off on that letter also. I'd like to know who they are and why they're doing this. And, and, and the letter again you're referencing, I'm sorry? He said it was from some Republicans arguing that Israel should not be brought before the world court for what's going on in Gaza and the, West, and the occupied yeah. territories. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the letter. I mean, I can tell you, you know, I uh, was, I, I led the first delegation in Congress to go into Palestine. Now, I believe three years ago, maybe it's four. I'm, I'm really bad at time when it comes to that. But you know, we had a group that went in and, you know, we could not get into Gaza. They turned us down, the Israeli government, which tells me that conditions can only be so awful that they don't want people to see it. And of course, we have seen footage from within Gaza that has come out. There's no question that uh, the conditions are not, they're a humanitarian crisis, I would argue, especially in Gaza. And uh, watching the continued land grabs and what they're doing is going to make it impossible to have peace in that region, which is why we need an adult as a president who doesn't just want to pander, which he's been doing with many of his actions around the Middle East. So, you know, I, I haven't seen the letters. So I can't comment directly to it. But, you know, I have seen folks who've lost their land in the West Bank to these settlements illegally going in. I think that we should have a very different dialogue going if we're ever going to have peace in that region. And the situation in Gaza is especially horrific on many fronts. You've got half the people on food assistance, 95 to 99% of the water you can't drink. And the water is sold by, as I understand it, the political leadership of Hamas, which doesn't help either, because that's also part of the problem. I mean, there's a lot of issues that we have to address in that area. And I think for anyone to have a letter, if the way the person's explaining it doesn't make any good sense. Denise in Calumet, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, guys. Thank you for everything you do. My question is, how do we 
ensure that the Electoral College doesn't end up being the vote for Trump, even if there is the biggest blue wave in history. This really scares me that we'll still end up with Trump. Yeah, Denise, you know, I, I can tell you that when you look at the states and the Electoral College votes, I mean, right now, it's going to be hard for Donald Trump if people get out and vote. And, and obviously, that seems like a very simple statement because, you know, we need the votes to win. But when you look at the states in play, Donald Trump is not doing well in a number of states that he did well in enough to right now flip the election to Joe Biden. So I'm not as concerned because of what I'm seeing in those key states. I think there's a whole other debate about the Electoral College that I don't disagree with you on, Denise. But at least with the way the maps are as of today and where things like in Wisconsin and Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona and other states, I'm feeling that it's not likely you'll have another situation where they'll lose the popular vote and win the Electoral College. In the election of 1876, the Democrat won the popular vote and the majority of the electoral votes. And yet the Republican, Rutherford B. Hayes, ended up as president. And the reason why was because three states refused to certify their vote. And you've got two Republican states that I know of right now talking about not being able to certify their vote this fall. In which case, under the 12th Amendment, it goes to the House of Representatives and each state has one vote. And you've got more than 30 states controlled by Republicans. So that would put Trump back in office. Are Democrats discussing this? You know, I can't say that, you know, it might be a discussion that some people have had. I have not heard it as a widely discussed option. But no, I haven't yeah. heard it used. Yeah, I, this concerns me tremendously. Anyhow, we'll be back. Congressman Mark Pocan is here with us taking your calls on the Tom Hartman program. Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You can tweet him at RepMarkPocan. And his You're tweets don't have... to Tom Man. Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And his tweets don't have corrections from Twitter on them. Yes, he tells the truth. We'll be back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. 
But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Coming up on the science revolution this week, what can we learn from a 17% drop in greenhouse gas emissions during the coronavirus? The president of Mercy for Animals, Leah Garces, drops by about the millions of animals that will be culled by suffocation, drowning, and shooting. She's concerned about the inhumane way we're dealing with the closure of meat plants, and so am I. Author and professor Seth Abramson is here about why Trump says he's taking dangerous drugs during the pandemic and how much money he might be making doing it. The Sierra Club's Ben Cushing is talking to me about the banks being under fire for fossil fuel financing. When will it end? Tune into the Science Revolution wherever five podcasts are available. Morris in Long Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Congressman, and, and thank you very much for all that you do. And good morning to you, Tom, and good morning to everyone within the sound of my voice. Congressman, I was listening to Lori Garrett. She's a Pulitzer Prize-winning scientist, and she said that she would not get on an airplane, even if the folks told you that it was safe. Uh, what I would suggest to all of my Democrat folks that fly on airplanes, make sure that they got air purification systems on there that attack the viruses in the air, okay, so we can keep everybody healthy. We're going to lose a lot of Republicans because they're stubborn and they're arrogant. But, but you can protect our progressive people by telling them if you get on a plane, make sure that those people got air purification systems in there. You can sterilize your environment. I know this. I do it for a living. You can sterilize your environment inside a building so you don't have to worry about scars, Ebola, COVID-19, etc. So make that suggestion to your brothers and sisters and, uh, you know, keep it going. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for your concern. I mean, I, that is one of the big concerns we have is that, you know, we just did a big bailout of the industry. Clearly, uh, no one was flying, but now they're back to packing people in and not following the social distancing standards, which is of great concern to many of us. So I always recommend if someone has a, a KN95 or uh, an N95 mask from construction, we don't take anything away from medical personnel. That is the best for flying just because of the reason you said. I think many of us are still concerned on that front. Johnny in Galveston, Texas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Morning, gentlemen. Uh, not too long ago, I heard you guys discussing um, the medical supplies being stolen at the airport by Trump. And my question for Mr. Pocan is, is he aware of, um, has anyone made an effort to identify the individual law enforcement officers who actually stole these supplies on behalf of Donald Trump? And if so, how soon can we expect to hear action being taken against them, including criminal indictment besides removal from, from law enforcement? Yeah, Johnny, I don't have any information on that. Okay. Paul in Long Beach, California, you're on the Earth Congress mm. Pocan. Thank you for all you do and all you listeners. I was curious how Congress is going to overturn the 2006 
congressional act to have the post office fund 75 years of pensions and also keep the post office solvent. Thank you. Yeah, Paul, great question and great point. I think, you know, I wish there's a way we could have everyone understand that the reason, the main reason the post office faces any issues is that they are the only entity in federal government that has to prepay their employee benefits 75 years into the future, which is crazy. It's not required of anywhere else. Businesses don't do that. Because of that, that's largely where they see any shortfalls. Of course, now we see some because of COVID-19. We did, as the House Democrats in the HEROES Act that we passed, did put $25 billion in as requested by the Board of Governors of the Postal Service to keep them afloat. We'll be right back. Hey, we have a brand new video up at uh, TomHartman.com, and this one's about national health insurance and why and how we really need a single-payer national health care system, whether you call it Medicare for All or you call it single-payer or you call it whatever. You know, Medicare for All, it has a lot of appeal because, generally speaking, Medicare is positively viewed. That's what they call it in Canada. It's called Medicare. And, you know, which makes sense, care for people using medicine. We would save at least $150 billion a year just on billing. You've got hospitals in the United States that have entire floors devoted to billing. Hospitals in Canada have one desk with you know one or two people sitting at that desk handling the billing. It's just crazy. And people would get better care, they get more comprehensive care, our entire nation gets healthier, and there's a whole bunch of essentially bullet points to build this argument for Medicare for All over at TomHartman.com. You can check it out right now. Congressman Mark Pocan doing our weekly national town hall meeting right here on the Tom Hartman program. And David in San Francisco, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, thanks, Tom and uh, Congressman. Yeah, I was interested in some of the lawsuits that are going to be coming out of this, torts coming out of it. You know, who's going to be liable for so much negligence? So there's got to be some legislation that's being discussed about that. The other thing, you were talking about the post office. You know what victory gardens are. Right now, it would be a smart idea for people to put in gardens, victory gardens, to be able to prevent food spikes, food price spikes. So we could get the post office, fund the extension service to each county in the country to have seed distribution and paid for at the post office and do that in this next round of stimulus yeah, well, I, on the Postal Service, I mean, I think the ideas that have been most widely circulated uh, have been, you know, why not allow them to sell some other things and have postal banking is something for many people who don't have access. I think we saw with PPP loans, you know, a lot of people don't have relationships with banks, and that would be something very easy to do. So I think that's probably more likely, but again, not with the Republican Senate maybe, but, you know, things that would make sense to help the Postal Service. But really, it's getting rid of that, you know, fake 75-year prepayment of benefits. That would be, the, without question, the largest part of it. Anthony in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you all for taking my call. Congressman, I guess I have a two-part question for you. The first part of my question is, why hasn't the Progressive Caucus come up with its own plan for reparations for the descendants of America's slaves? And then part two of my question 
is why hasn't that H.R. 40 come up for uh, markup and for adjustment and amendments in the House, considering you all have owned the House now for nearly two years? Uh, there's 7,000 bills, so I'm not sure the numbers. This might be what you're referring to, but I, I'm not 100% sure. Sheila Jackson, the study on reparations that you signed on to in June of last year. Yeah, that's what I was trying to explain, Anthony. That's Sheila Jackson Lee. Thank you for the clarification. So um, there is a bill introduced by a progressive caucus member that has progressive caucus members largely supporting it, as well as others that would do just that. So we don't write our own bills as a caucus. You have members do that. There is a bill introduced by Sheila Jackson Lee, and I am a sponsor of that bill. Why it hasn't been calendared yet, I can't tell you. Generally, they don't calendar something unless you have the votes for it. And if you don't have that to show via sponsorships or some other way, we don't schedule things that won't pass. And uh, then it's incumbent on uh, generally the author of the bill to make sure they have the votes lined up. So that's my best guess. But there is a bill introduced already, and caucuses don't actually introduce bills. Nancy in Woodland, California, you're on the air with Congressman Popocan. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, uh, Trump, um, you know, talks against voting by mail because he said people will cheat. And, of course, he voted by mail. And I've heard recently that he actually voted illegally because no one, including him, can be a legal permanent resident of Mar-a-Lago now that it's a private club. So can he be held accountable for cheating or at least have the Democrats push back every time he talks about cheating? Yeah, Nancy, I like, I'm not sure with what you said. I'd have to have more information on it, but that's an interesting thing. There is no question. I mean, what's the ultimate hypocrisy is for someone to say you shouldn't be able to vote by mail except for him. He should be allowed to. I mean, that is the most, un, well, not the most unpresidential because this guy does so many things, but it's, it's very unpresidential. What he's afraid of clearly is that it giving you know, people the choice to pick their elected officials rather than the other way around. He wants the elected officials to pick the voters and he doesn't want everyone to go out and vote and he's going to do everything in his power to stop that. We would love to have universal vote by mail. That would make the most sense. A backup would be at least no excuse absentee voting everywhere in the country as well as expanded early voting. And that's part of the fight I think that we're having right now and trying to get done rightfully so in a COVID package because this is certainly related to what could happen this fall. Does Congress have the power to override states on that? Um, I, I don't. I just I don't have the answer offhand on that, Tom. I, I just know that yes, we can say I believe the universal absentee ballot access with no excuse. We had that in HR one and a number of other proposals. That is what probably the most serious talk is right now, just because I don't think the Republicans are going to go for vote by mail. But we have to try to allow this uh, and be as widespread as possible. And that is something that we have still talked about trying to get done. So you're guessing it would probably be subject to Supreme Court review? Potentially, but I mean, we're still, this is a very much something we're pushing in one of the COVID bills, and we, at minimum, want to have that directly from leadership. Great. Great. Congressman Pokan, thanks so much for being with us today. Great talking with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I wanted to dig back into Milton Mayer's brilliant book from the 1950s. Milton Mayer was a Chicago journalist. I think he was writing for The Sun, and he himself was Jewish. Traveled over to Germany after World War II to ask 
average, quote, good Germans, to ask average Germans, how could this have happened? Right? This is just right after the war. How could this have happened? And he interviewed a bricklayer, a baker, a college professor, and there were 10 people. And he basically spent a few months with each one of them. I think he was there a year and a half, a year or something like that. I just want to share with you, now these guys are long dead. Milton Mayer is long dead. But this is what these average Germans, these were not Nazis, not members of the Nazi party. This is what they had to say. This separation of government from people, this is the college professor talking, this separation of government from people, this widening of the gap, took place so gradually and so insensibly, each step disguised, perhaps not even intentionally, as a temporary emergency measure or associated with true patriotic allegiance or real social purposes. And all the crises and reforms, and real reforms too, so occupied the people that they didn't see the slow motion underneath of the whole process of government growing remoter and remoter. To live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it. Please, try to believe me. Unless one has such a greater degree of political awareness, acuity, than most of us ever had the occasion to develop. Each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained, or on occasion regretted that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning, unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle, what all those little measures that no patriotic German could resent must someday lead to, one no more saw it developing from day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing. And one day, it's over his head. And he talks about you know, how uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing as time goes on, it grows. Outside in the streets of the general community, everyone seems happy. You hear no protests. Certainly, you see none. You say, it's not so bad. You know, your friends, they, they, what do they say? They say, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist. And you are an alarmist. You're saying, this must lead to that. But you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes, but how do you know for sure? How do you know the end? How do you know or even surmise the end? So let me just wrap up this little reading from They Thought They Were Free. This is Milton Mayer's iconic book. This is just absolutely extraordinary book. And he's talking about being an alarmist. This is the college professor. He says, you see, my colleague went on, one doesn't see exactly where or how to move. Believe me, this is true. Each act, each occasion is worse than the last, but only a little worse. You wait for the next and the next. You wait for the one great shocking occasion, thinking that others, when such a shock comes, will join you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even talk alone. You don't want to go out of your way to make trouble. Why not? Well, you're not in the habit of doing it. And it's not just fear, a fear of standing alone that restrains you. It is also genuine uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing, keep in mind, this was a, a college professor who lived through the Nazi years, through World War II. A German college professor talking to a reporter, to Milton Mayer in his book, They Thought They Were Free. And outside in the streets, in the general community, everyone seems happy. One hears no protest, certainly sees none. You know, in France or Italy, maybe there's slogans against the government, but in Germany, eh, outside the great cities, a little, but in the university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom certainly must feel as you do, but what do they say? They say, oh, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist. And you are an alarmist. You are saying this must lead to that, but you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes, but how do you know for sure when you don't know the end? How do you know or even surmise the end? 
On the one hand, your enemies, the law, the regime, the party intimidate you. On the other hand, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. But the one great shocking occasion when tens or hundreds of thousands will join you never comes. That's the difficulty. If the last and worst act of the whole regime had come immediately after the first and the smallest, thousands, yes, millions, would have been sufficiently shocked if, let us say, the gassing of the Jews in 43 had come immediately after the German firm stickers on the windows in non-Jewish shops in 33. But of course, that isn't how it happens. In between come all the hundreds of little steps, some of them imperceptible, each of them preparing you not to be shocked by the next. Step C isn't so much worse than step B, and he didn't make a stand at B, so why should you do that step C? And then on to step D. And one day, too late, your principles, if you were ever sensible to them, all rush in upon you. The burden of self-deception. I think what he's describing here is what happened to Justin Amash, the Republican from Michigan. The burden of self-deception has grown too heavy, and some minor incident in my case, it was my little boy, hardly more than a baby, saying, Jew, swine. It collapses all at once, and you see that everything, everything has changed, and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people, it's not the world you were in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring, the houses, the shops, the jobs, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed, because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, is changed. And now you live in a world of hate and fear. And the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. And now you live in a system which rules without responsibility to law or even to God. Milton Ayer's book, They Thought They Were Free. Jamie in uh, Nacogdoches, uh, Texas. Hey, Jamie, what's up? Hey, Tom. What do you know about the uh, test swabs and how accurate they are? In our area, I know of four people who have been tested positive, but yet they mm. weren't sick. So right. is it like TB that you can be a carrier? But you don't yes. have TB. What's the deal? Yeah, it with appears that, that about about forty percent. There are some people who are saying it's as low as thirty percent. There are others saying it's as high as sixty percent. But the numbers that I'm seeing quoted most commonly are somewhere in the neighborhood of forty percent of people who become infected with the virus, walking around for a couple of weeks, shedding the virus, uh, spraying it on people, other people literally never have any symptoms. Or if they have symptoms, those symptoms are so minor that they just think, you know, it's a passing headache or a light cold or something like that. Mm. Uh, so there's a substantial number of people who are going to test positive without symptoms. They're called asymptomatic carriers. Well, I enjoy your program so much. Well, thank you, Jim. Especially when you read and at the it breaks the flowers and the bees. Thanks, oh, Tom. Okay. Bye -bye. Great. Well, thank you. And a tip of the hat to Nate for putting those things together. Jamie, thank you. Ramon in San Francisco. What's up? Um, this is an address for those who want, want to reopen the economy so hastily. 
And unless you keep your distance and follow up the instruction from our Governor Newsom and good island mining governors, we're going to go in trouble. See, what happened in Seoul is that they had to slow down the coronavirus spread, and they opened the nightclubs and the hostess bars, and guess what? There was a guy without a mask, and he spread the virus again to 15 people. And in mm-hmm. the meantime, in a few days more, they had 25. So now they're scared to the point that they don't have a date for the schools to reopen. They thought that right. they were going to do it earlier, but now how come? So this is a this is a call for those who don't believe that this virus is sickening. They're going to bring the sickness to the parents. And who knows, Tom, we need more information for these counties that don't follow up the rules. They have to. Well, apparently uh, Republicans don't have older people in their families, uh, you know. But yes, what you're talking about is Seoul, South Korea. And thank you for the reminder, Ramon. They had opened the bars and... And nightclubs. Or the nightclubs, rather, yeah. And And only took uh, one guy without a mask to infest 15 people in one place alone. I mean, so this is a warning. Thank and you. the key the key to this, Ramon, the thing that and, and thank you. Thank you for the call. And thanks for pointing that out. And the thing that people in America don't understand. And that probably a few months down the road, we will start to understand as Massachusetts and California and a few other states start putting into place not just testing, but contact tracing systems. What most Americans don't understand is that. If somebody, you know, if, if uh, you know, Georgia opens up and somebody walks into a uh, into a restaurant and they infect 20 or 30 people, you're never going to know who that person was, what the restaurant was, the, who those people are. They're all going to go back out into their community. Some of them are going to go to church. They're going to be spreading it at church. They're going to go to other restaurants. They're going to I mean, you know, it's just boom. You've got another you know, epidemic going on, a local epidemic, another flare going on, and nobody knows where it is happening, how far it's gone, or how to stop it, because Georgia is not doing contact tracing. And in South Korea, they have this very, very robust program. Same thing in Australia. In Australia, the first, the first day or two that the government rolled out this new app that you put on your smartphone that keeps track of every other smartphone that you have been in, you know, within 10 feet of, more or less. I'm assuming it uses Bluetooth. And then if any of those people are infected with coronavirus, you get a notice about, hey, this person and this person and this person, or actually you get a call from the health department asking who you've been in touch with. So what they're doing is they're nailing down, you know, who's got what where so that they can stop it. And they're going to stop this in South Korea. They're going to stop it dead in its tracks. Here, nah, not a chance. Ain't going to happen. And, you know, all the more of the crime. Cha in Makowawaw, Hawaii. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing your town. Hey, Cha, tell me how to say it. Makowawaw. Thank you. But anyway, Tom, I love your uh, book segments. When you read, I'm a reader, and I found a book I thought you would just have to look at. The story is about Louis Pasteur. Back when he died, he asked his relatives, never give my lab books away. And in 1995, one of his surviving relatives gave them to Princeton University. And a man named Gerald Giesen wrote a book using all this material. 
and found him to be a complete fraud, like a Trump of science, and was backed by the really? king then. He killed thousands of animals, thousands of people, stole his information from Bachon with bacteria, and when he couldn't make it work, he said there's got to be something smaller. And this is where it all started from. And he's basically wow. laid it out. So it's a really interesting that he handed this stuff to Princeton University. And this book is just amazing. It's called The Private Science of Louis Pasteur. Fascinating. Cha, thanks a lot for that. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.